I'm getting to know this brother. And some, you know what? I think this is true. I'm just going to say this to you because it's true. Sometimes you've rubbed me the wrong way. And that's because I see myself in wrong. And I go, and it's a good reminder because, oh my gosh, I've been rubbing a lot of people the wrong No, I'm just, I say that because I identify with his zeal. And I identify with his verboseness. And I identify with his love for the word of God, his love for the church, and his love for God's people. Ron, I know you've got a good one prepared for us. Um, we prayed for Ron yesterday, and, and I know that Ron has made large deposits into his spirit, man, and I know that he's primed and ready to bring them out this morning. So, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will bring forth that anointing on your word through the anointing of your servant, Ron, and bless this church. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would have us to hear today through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You know, the Bible says the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. And um, the way God does things, He sets things up to be building blocks for other things and things build upon things. And even in the, the Bible's own description of how uh, the Word of God is understood and, and uh, discerned, it talks about line upon line, precept upon precept. And that really is the way God's Word is determined and understood and you know god never does anything by mistake he doesn't make mistakes he doesn't have oopsie moments like we do because we're very much uh, prone to our um, inefficiencies and lacks and human error and he does not have any of that and uh, you know andy knocked it out of the park last week when he preached to us about uh, disasters that can happen during delay you know, and I believe God sets things on building blocks. The first week, Pastor um, Brother Wally preached to us about the body. And we did communion and how that's all connected together. We're all connected in Jesus. And then he, we talked about last week, delay coming. And what do we do when there's a delay? Do we get comfortable? Do we take chances? Do we get risky? Do we forget about God? And and today, everything just kind of joins into the third part. You know, everything that's been sung today, I didn't tell Jennifer uh, or uh, uh, Becca or anybody what uh, I was preaching today. But the, the last song, there was a phrase there that says, may the power of God's love be the measure of my life. The power of His saving love is the measure of our life. You know what? One thing that sets apart Christians, real Christians, from people that aren't, is it doesn't matter what happens in our life. We can hang. Did you hear me? No matter what comes our way, we can make it through it. You know why? Because of that. The measure of His love the power of His love is the measure of our life. When, when God came into my life, I was dramatically, absolutely, transitionally transformed from a person that was without God and was hopeless, the dark and black heart, 
to a person who would just, I just literally felt like I was floating on air. I really felt the cleansing of God come in my spirit. I felt this, I felt like, like God took one of those great big baby bottle washers that have the little bristles on them in the handle. You ladies know what I'm talking about. Guys, eh, maybe. I felt like God put one of those great big Holy Ghost bottle brushes in me and just swished it all around and I just, I felt cleansed. I felt His power come on my life. I knew that the Word where it says we die to ourselves and we're risen again to new life in Christ Jesus, I knew that was the experience that I had. Two things happened as a result of that. Immediately I wanted to worship the Lord and immediately I wanted to tell people about Jesus. It was just like it instantly came in me like an urgent thing and I've never been the same. And you know what else is really neat? This day, the third Sunday in January, you couldn't handle it better, is the day I got saved. The third day in January, 1972, is when I got saved. So I'm preaching on my birthday, my spiritual birthday. So how about that, huh? That's not a coincidence, I don't think, either. But you know, there, I'm not just saying these things just so I can flap around and have a bunch of volume of things to say. I've got plenty to say, and any of us can sit up here and yap for 30 minutes. But uh, there's something to what I'm saying because having that anchored-in experience of having your life transformed, I'm not talking about go and say, repeat after me prayer, okay, I'll walk different now, and stumble and stumble and stumble. And I used to see people, especially, I was in the Assembly of God for like 20 years or something, and I would see these people, We this one church I went to for about seven years where I really got into the, the understanding of the Holy Spirit and the way the Spirit moves and understood things that I didn't ex understand the first six or seven years of my salvation. I would see these people, we'd have a Sunday night service. That's when people had Sunday night church. And man, I mean, we'd have the full choir, the, the orchestra. I mean, we had it rolling, man. And there'd be like an evangelistic missionary or some kind of evangelist or somebody. And, and there's those as many people came to our Sunday night church as there was Sunday morning. And, and that's when things really went off the rails as far as the Holy Spirit moving. And, and I would see these people run to the altar that were 13 to... 25, 30 years old, and men, they'd seem to have this dramatic experience, and they'd, they'd come a week or two, and then all of a sudden you never see them again. And I began to see this over and over and over over the years, and I was like, Lord, what is going on? And Lord showed me one time, those people weren't getting transformed. They were feeling bad about their sins, and they came down just to appease their sin, but they never broke through to the point where they fully surrendered to Jesus. They didn't get to a place where they repented of all their sins and, and locked stock and barrel sold out completely to Jesus. So they didn't get the transitional experience, that transformation from a sinner to a saint that was supposed to happen. So therefore, there wasn't anything to hold them in place. So when the storms beat, they were the people that were built on sand. And when the storm came, they were blown away and they served the Lord no more. It's important because this is what my message is about today. One thing that I learned to do when I was saved, and nobody had to tell me, 
I knew I was supposed to be a worshiper of God because He loved me that much. The power of His love is the measure. The power of His Jesus salvation is the measure of my life. It's everything now. So worshiping and praising God in prayer are two things that had to happen in my life. And if I would attend to those things, I would make it. And can I tell you today, this is my... Stop and think. Saved in 1972. This is 48 years ago. Today, I was saved. And you know what? I haven't been one of those people that burned out and ran off and forgot about God. Why? Because I had that anchored in experience. When you have the anchored in experience... It's all about Jesus. It's not all about you. Because you surrendered your life to Him, so your life doesn't even belong to yourself anymore. We are going to preach today. We're going to look in Acts chapter 16. You know, Paul had a defining experience in his life too. He was not a 15-year-old when he was on the Damascus Road. He was already an adult. He was a wealthy man that had power, that had servants. He studied the Jewish law under one of the greatest minds of his day, Gamaliel. He was very well versed in the Scriptures that the Jews had, the Old Testament. But he was half Jew and half Roman. And so he knew the Gentile ways, but he also knew the Jewish ways. When he got saved on that Damascus Road experience, his life was forever transformed. Jesus came and revealed Himself right on the middle of that road. Messed up His day. Boy, He never thought that was coming. But you know what? When He got up and He started walking to Jerusalem, some things happened that I took note of. He was commissioned to preach the Gospel by Jesus Himself. Right? Jesus also told Him He would be an apostle to the Jews and the Gentiles. The lost sheep of Israel in those who were Gentiles. Because he understood the Gentiles. He was also told by Jesus he would suffer many times for Jesus' sake. So you see, if you're the whole point is if you're going through life, you're going this this church is going through a transition. If you're going through your own personal life and, and you know you're in the will of God, God's confirmed that you're in his will, and all of a sudden some kind of difficulty comes some kind of detour comes, what you planned or hoped, or some kind of totally different thing comes with you. Just understand, that's normal. Did you hear me? That's normal. That always happens. I'm going to show you in our text today how it happens. There's not anybody in the Bible who had dramatic things happen in their life when they didn't go through difficulties. When they didn't have detours. When they didn't have delays. And it's in those things where God comes in a powerful way, a dramatic way, and touches many. Y'all don't sound like you're getting very excited with me. I'm up here about to hop out of my skin, and y'all are kind of disappointing me today, you know? I expect a little more. Y'all come on, man. I'm going to be jumping up and down here a minute, and I might even take a lap around this place. And y'all need to come on and get with it today, okay? Paul 
in Acts 16. We're going to look at verses 4 through 34, and I'm not going to read 31 verses. Uh, that'd be crazy. It'd take all our time. But I am going. To, that is my main passage where we're going to look today. And I'm going to give you some backfill. Paul, and you can see in your notes, Paul was on his second missionary journey with a ministry team. He didn't just travel around by himself. He had a team of people that accompanied him. The journey was a twofold journey. First of all, they were going to go to all the churches that were planted in the first missionary journey. And they're going to go and strengthen them and encourage them and, you know, just kind of, kind of uh, minister to them. Also, the second part of the journey was going to be going out and evangelizing new frontiers where they had never been again. But Paul had a way of finding out what God's will is and knowing what God's will is. And a little bit of this is what I preached at DISC um, the first Friday of this month. But this, this is really true, and this is, this is how principle I learned a long time ago talking about the power of praise and prayer in our life. Um, if you remember the story in Chronicles where all of Israel's enemies are coming against them. And God doesn't... You know what God's great big military strategy is? Send out the choir! Boy, everybody would have laughed at you if you had said that nowadays. If in, in this crazy world we're living, the Lord said, I want you to go over there to Iraq. I want you to sit there on the plane of whatever, mumbo-jumbo, and I want you to declare my praises for an hour. And I'm going to just totally melt away any resistance. We would think that was the craziest strategy anybody ever displayed in the history of the world, right? But that's what God said. He says, send the skillful singers out and have them again sing my praises and you'll behold and see what my work is. And they begin to go out and sing praises to God. And as they did, God started listening to that praise. And all of a sudden, ambushments started falling. I don't know if meteors started falling out of the sky or hail and fire. I don't know. But I know one thing. Every one of those enemies began to destroy each other and there was nothing but dead bodies left when they were done. And they never had to lift a finger. They just had to praise Him. I'm telling you, there's power in praise. And there's power in prayer. There's power in praise because it puts you in a place where you lift Him up and then you and Him get to where you're synchronizing at the same level. And He pulls you up. It's not that we bring Him down because you can't bring God down. It's that He pulls us up into the heavenly places where He is, where His power is, where His presence is, where His life-transforming power and love is experienced. And that's where God meets you. And that's why praise and prayer is joined together. Because when you get in that place, it gets to where you want to pray. It's easy to pray. What do you want? Lord, you know, you got the emboldenedness. You got the power to pray with. You've put some time in praise. And now it's time to pray. And now God's going to move. There's an ordered way of how God did things. And there's a way that Paul did things. First thing he did You'll see in your notes here, he reached up. He reached up. Paul always reached up to God in praise, and then he reached up to God in prayer. It didn't matter where he went, his life belonged to Jesus. It didn't matter if the Lord sent him to Timbuktu, or if he sent him to Syria, or he sent him to Spain, or he sent him to Norway, or Finland, or wherever. It didn't matter to him. His life belonged to Jesus. So he started 
worshiping the Lord and praying. And God then, as He's seeking the Lord for direction, He would reach in. He would reach into a spirit man and figure out what is it that the Lord's speaking to me. Did not Jesus Himself say, My sheep hear My voice, and they will not follow a stranger. So, God wants us to hear His voice. I was talking to a guy one day, actually was a Christian, about praying. And he was asking me about my prayer life. And I said, well, I always spend time praying and then after i prayed a while, I'll be quiet I'll wait for God to speak. He looked at me like I was crazy. He said, God talks to you? I said, yeah, of course. Doesn't He talk to you? You're saying God talks to you. Yeah. Just how does that happen? Well, He speaks through our thought impressions. You, you, you have a, revel, a revelational thought that comes to your mind. You have a, an essence of a thought or a sequence of thoughts that comes into your mind as you're focusing on God. Or you hear a word or a sentence. Or some people see pictures. Some people see a vision of something that God wants them to do. And as they step in faith, and that's the third part of it, we reach up, we reach in to see what God's saying, and then we reach out into what He shows us in faith, in full confidence. When Jesus told Peter, when he saw Jesus walking across the water, and he was in the boat, Jesus said, Lord! Peter said, Lord, if it's you, have you come walk, have me come walk to you. What did Jesus say? He didn't hesitate. Come on. You know what? Everybody always, everybody always is down on Peter because he sunk when he started watching his feet, thinking, oh, look at what I'm doing, yeah. But nobody ever talks about them. Have you ever walked on water? Peter did. So don't be such a downer, okay? Don't be such a downer on Peter because at least he walked some steps. And when Jesus pulled him up, it didn't say that Jesus carried him back to the boat. So he had to walk with him back to the boat, right? Hello? Zoom in today. Not you Zoomers, but y'all are already zoomed in. But zoom in. It's here. That's how the Spirit speaks. As he stepped out on the water, he didn't even think about it because Jesus told him, come on. When Jesus tells you, go over here or do this or do that, and, and as you step out in it, He empowers you to do what you do. He gives you the grace for everything to work together just the way it needs to to pull you over here and to move you over here, and to move you back here, and to give you a word to say. And then you say it in faith. The next thing you know, it's just building upon each other. This is what Paul did. He reached up to God in praise and prayer. Then he reached in to see what the Spirit was saying to him. And he listened. And then when God spoke to him and showed him what he wanted, he reached out in faith and full assurance into what God showed him to do. And he's listening, he's walking, he's listening, he's walking. But the very core of what he did always had to do with praise and prayer. No matter what the situation, good or bad, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, it didn't matter. Out on the open sea for a full day and night, it didn't matter what his situation was. He was going to praise the Lord and he was going to pray no matter what was going on. We need to learn that. Are you in a difficulty? Praise the Lord 
and pray in the midst of it and God will bring you deliverance. Are you going through a difficulty here? Is it, is it hard to function without a pastor leading everything? It, it, it brings to certain challenges. But what if the Lord didn't send anybody here who could preach? You'd really be in a pickle, wouldn't you? I don't know why they call that being a pickle, because pickles are pretty good, actually. But You'd be in something you didn't want to be in. You know? Now, Paul always displays this process, and we're going to look at this. It tells us in uh, verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. That sounds like success, doesn't it? So Paul went to the first missionary journey. He's going to these different churches that he planted on the first trip. And he's encouraging them. He's praying over them. He's showing them, you know, get into praise. Get into prayer. Do what Jesus said to do, you know. And those people are growing and they, they experience growth in numbers and in strength while he's there. How could that not be successful, right? So Paul is on a high. But what does he do? He naturally goes back to his DNA. Reach up, reach in, reach out. So what does he do? Let's look at it. Verses 6 through 8 demonstrate this, this method of Paul. Verse 6 says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. That's interesting, isn't it? How could he be for, forbidden to go somewhere if he didn't ask about it? Right? So he's praising the Lord. He's praying about it. He's listening. He, he's like in Asia Minor, and you can either go northeast into Asia, or you can go a little bit west and north to Bithynia, or you can go west all the way to the, to the water. And so he's praying, Lord, do I go to Asia? And the Lord says, no, you can't go to Asia. Okay? He doesn't stop living. His life, the world doesn't quit spinning in his life. He just says, okay, I'll take a note. Praise the Lord. That's not where we're supposed to go. Thank you, Jesus. You've at least shown us that. And so he moves a little bit west, which is the route he's already going. He gets to a place where he can go north to Bithynia. And he, and he prays again. He seeks the Lord. He listens to what the Lord says. Lord, what about Bithynia? Do you want us to go there? The Holy Spirit comes to him and says, no, don't go there. I said, okay, thank you, Lord. And it tells us. And after that, he came. they tried to go in Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Messiah, they came to Troas. You know, if you go down I-35 from here to Austin, you go through Waco, right? But you go by Waxahachie. You don't go through the middle of Waxahachie unless you go the long way down 77. But you go down I-35, you go by Waxahachie. That's what this was. He was going by the southern side of Mycia, asking, Lord, there's a route north to Bithynia. Do you want us to go there? No. And so the only place left to go was west to Troas. It was a port city. It's right on the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean Sea across the water from Greece. 
in Macedonia, and he's praying. He's still praying. He's still seeking God. He's still waiting for an answer. He's not quit living. He's still moving along. He's still listening. He's still focused. They're still doing their daily activities. And all of a sudden, look at this. In verse 9, in a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia. I don't know what a Macedonian looks like. I looked it up and looked it up and never did find other than about 30% of them were very impoverishedly poor. So whatever a poor Macedonian looked like is what this guy looked like. And pleading with him, that means begging, right? He's begging him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So he sees this vision. Now finally the Lord answers. He gives him the answer. Come to Macedonia. Please come help us. Please come help us. Please come help us. I'm begging you. Please come help us. Look at verse 10. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately, immediately, you know, everything's going along and all of a sudden, bam, something happens. And it's always immediately, isn't it? Immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us, it doesn't say me, it says us, His team, to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, man, they set this sail straight to, to, to Samothrace and they're going into Macedonia and they have to stop at one place before there and they go straight to Philippi, which it says is the chief city. It's the principal city of that whole area. That's what Paul did. He always went to the biggest city, the one with the most power, the one with the most danger, he went there and he smacked it right upside the head for Jesus first. And then he went out from there and spread out. That's kind of was his thing. That's how the Lord led him. And so he comes to Philippi. If you don't know anything about Paul's background, Paul typically what he would do, he would come into to a town and the first thing he'd do, he'd seek out the synagogue. I don't know how much you know about synagogues, but to have a synagogue... You have to have 20 men, men, not ladies, 20 men who were God worshipers, who worshiped the one true God, and who were of the Jewish law. And there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. So now all of a sudden we hit a detour. Well, what do we do? Well, Lord, there's not a church in Philippi. How are we going to have a revival, Lord? There's not a building. Well, what does he do? He walks around the town, him and his team, and he starts asking questions. Is there a certain place people meet for prayer? You know, that was kind of a bold thing to do too. In a place, Philippi, by the way, was a place that was given by the emperor to his son, Philip. That's why it's called Philippi. And it had lots of military. It was a major military installation. So there's soldiers everywhere. There's a huge military presence. So they have a great big honking jail with all kinds of extra extra heavy-duty construction in that jail and prison. And, and it was a place where injustice was the justice. That's one thing that I read in my studies preparing for this was that Macedonia, Philippi was known to be, and Macedonia was known to be a place where lawlessness was the law. Injustice was the justice. And a lot of wrong things were done and just covered over. So that so he's going in a place where there's no synagogue. And how do you know he asked around, Brother Ron? Well, because right here it says, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside. 
where prayer was customarily made. How did he know prayer was customarily made on the river outside of town? Well, because they asked, right? That tells you that they asked around. Sometimes when you're getting things done for whatever God's plans give you, you may have to do some asking around. When we started the thing at the fire stations, I had to go and ask, would this be okay if we did this? If we did this on a third Saturday every month, would you be okay with it? I had to ask some more questions. How many men do we need to provide baked goods for for each place to have enough for everybody to have some so we don't you know, lay an egg by not having adequate provision? So I had to ask some questions. When you're going through things and God gives you a plan, it doesn't mean you're not going to have to do any research. It doesn't mean you're not going to have to do some, some thinking and some planning. It's going to be God-oriented, but you're still going to have to ask some questions. You're going to still have to get some answers to those questions, and you're still going to have to move through life. It's not that God just says, go to Duncanville, go to SGF and be a great and mighty worker for me. Okay, now what? I've got to figure out how I plugged in here. What was God's purpose for me here? How do I function here? A lot of things I had to ask questions about. So just because you have to ask questions about things don't mean you're not in the right place. It just means you are. And He doesn't tell you every single detail you need to know. Some things you have to find out. So anyway, all goes to this river where people customarily met for prayer and He starts sharing the Gospel with them. And the Bible touches this one lady's heart named Lydia. Now, I didn't tell you a whole lot about her, but it tells you she was a wealthy woman. Color, it's all purple cloth. Purple cloth was very expensive. Only raw people, rich people, bought it and, and traded it. And she was in a place where it was a perfect trade route. Not far from the water, people came through there all the time. It was a major city. She was from Thyatira and moved there because Thyatira, there wasn't much happening there. You know? Be like somebody going... Living in some place like Venus and wanting to be a cosmopolitan fashion person. There ain't no cosmopolitan fashions in Venus, folks, let me tell you. Okay? That'd be like what this lady was like. So she was a wealthy businesswoman, had a lot of servants in her house. You see these cowboy shows where these people have the ranches and they have the field hands and they have the people working in the kitchen and the ones tending to the house. That's what she was like. She had servants, she had attendants, she had people that tended to her estate. She was a wealthy woman with a lot of people in her household. And the Bible says God opened her heart and she received the Gospel. And she said, come and tell everyone in my household. And then she tells him, if you found favor in me as a faithful person in the Lord, please come and stay in my house. Alright, and don't have to rent a hotel room now, do we? I made provision. Boy, doesn't it seem like success is going around. Here they go to the first missionary trip. Man, everybody, the church grew and multiplied. And all of a sudden, they're seeking God to go to the next place. They find the place, they get there. And man, don't you know, Not long, even though there's not a synagogue, they find this lady. And they start telling them about Jesus. And she gets saved. And God radically changes this lady's house. Her whole household gets saved. She brings them there. Says, hey, why don't you just stay here? Just stay at my house. I've got all kinds of extra rooms. Just stay here. Man, success, right? Excitement, right? Everything's swinging, right? And it said they, they stayed there a number of days. So they weren't just there a day or two. But here comes the detour. 
So everybody say, here comes the but. But. All of a sudden. One thing it tells you this understory. There's this little girl. And she's a slave girl. And she's got a demon of sorcery in her. She, she, she tells people's fortunes by a demonic spirit. And she's going around heckling them every day. These men are the servants of the Most High God to tell you the way of Jesus. Oh, 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 don't you want to just bow down to these people? And it says she followed them through town doing this. Every day. Every day. Just to show hands. Have you ever known anybody in your life that's just really annoying like that? Just, I mean, they just get under your skin in five seconds. You're really like slap them in the face and say, get away from me. Like, like, like one of these flies, horse flies, just buzzing around your head. And you can't hit it and you can't smack it and you slap yourself in the head 10 or 12 times trying to make that stupid fly get out of the way. That's what this lady was doing. She was like a little horse fly buzzing around Paul's head and she was just irritating him. And it was to the point of distracting him. All of a sudden, it says he's walking. He's on his way to prayer, which means it's early in the morning, right? And all of a sudden, this annoyance hits him and he said, man, I am going to take care of this. And it says, he looked at her and he said, in the name of Jesus, spirit of divination, come out of her. Now, the Bible says, right here in this thing, within the same hour, she lost all her ability to tell fortune. Great, right? Isn't that wonderful? What's wrong with y'all today? Man, I thought y'all be like up out of your seats by now. He just cast a demon out of a lady. Isn't that a good thing? My problem, she was owned by multiple people. Now their source of income was gone. So what do they do? Uh-oh, here comes the detour. Uh-oh, here comes the difficulty. Uh-oh, here comes the delay. It says those men grabbed Paul and Silas and they drugged them to the judges. These men are doing things that aren't all right. Remember, injustice was their justice. The lack of law was their law. And so they say, okay, good, cheerio, beat them. And so it says they strip them and they beat them with rods. Rods were these things. Ever seen any, heard of caning? Like a big old long rod? A, a, a rod was like a, a really long stick. And around that stick, have you ever seen a braided whip? Or anything braided leather? Little skinny strips of leather and they braided it around. They would take this rod and they would braid leather around it all the way to the tip. And then they would hit that thing against the person's back. It would hurt like someone getting caned with, with a cane and a whip all in one. And it says they laid many stripes on them. Then they take them to the, to the jail, the inner part of the cell. It says they put their feet in the stocks. Well, if they put their feet in stocks, generally the chain of the stocks was mounted to the wall. So you don't even have a back support because if your feet, if that's the wall, and I'm sitting here like this, and my feet are in the stocks. The stocks aren't going to be out this way where I can get leverage. They're going to be here. So I'm sitting here against the wall with my back all beaten to pieces. I don't even know what kind of shape Paul and Silas were in because 
You know, here they're they're putting chains in their hands, stocks around their feet. Boy, that doesn't sound like a good confession, does it? Why would God do all these things? All this success, and all of a sudden, all this sudden difficulty. Didn't they do God's work? They delivered a girl from demons. And now they're beaten. I don't know if they're beaten almost to death because they're on their way to prayer in the morning. Here's the good thing there. Here's the good news. Remember how I told you God always moves in difficulty, detours, and delays? Mm, and my favorite, this is that besides the people singing in the choir and God destroying the army, this is my favorite verse in the whole Bible besides that one. Really, not kidding. Let's go down to verse... Uh, don't you love... I, I like when God says, but in the Bible, and suddenly. Oh, brother, when there's a suddenly, something's about to happen, man. It's going to be life-changing. It's going to be transformational. It says in verse 25, but... At midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining, moaning, and groaning, and wishing they never came to Philippi. Is that what it says? That's not what it says? Wouldn't that be a normal response? Let's see, what does it say? But! Big but! Okay? But! At midnight, Paul and Silas were traveling, or excuse me, praying, remember praying, and singing hymns to God. Look at that last part. And the prisoners were listening. Here's these men that come in here in the morning. They're beaten. They must have been beaten almost to death because you don't hear anything till midnight. That's 15 hours. 12 hours at least. That's a long time to go from not hearing something to all of a sudden hearing. Well, what is the first response you hear? Their anchor. The root comes into play. Their anchor holds deep. Their foundation of who they are is in Jesus who they already gave their life over for anyway. So whether they lived or die, it was Christ that they were all about, right? So it didn't matter if they were beat to death. Thank You, Lord, that we could suffer for You. Thank You, Jesus, for Your salvation. Thank You, Lord, that You counted us worthy to be beaten almost to death for You. Lord, we love You, Jesus. You're worthy, Jesus. If their foot wasn't in the stocks, they'd probably jump up and dance. And they're rejoicing in the midst of their difficulty, in the midst of their delay, in the midst of their detour. They're worshiping the Lord and they're praying and they're singing hymns and praises to God. Now, just like the choir was doing in Chronicles, watch this suddenly. Verse 25. But, at midnight, it tells you they're worshiping and praying. Look at verse 26. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. It doesn't say just an earthquake. Great earthquake! So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Isn't it good that when God moves, He don't ever half move? Aren't you glad He's not a half, half-baked God? Aren't you glad that when He makes a move, He really makes a move? And immediately, all the doors were open. And listen to this. 
whose chains were, were loosed? Who? You mean the people that were sorry that deserved to be in jail? Their chains were loosed? Remember what I said about the song? The power of His love and salvation is the measure of my life. How deep does His love go? All the way down to those that deserve to be in jail. He will pop their chains loose because they're with you. He's favoring you. And the spillover of His power in His cataclysmic desire to transform lives, He will break everybody else's chains off too. Not just yours. Can you imagine the impact that would have on someone? Sitting here watching these people praise the Lord and pray in the midst of this absolute difficulty. Peril that they're going through. They're beaten almost to death. And they start worshiping the Lord, thanking Him for what they're going through. They're not focused on their problem. They're focused on who the Lord is and how He can save those who aren't worthy to be saved. And all of a sudden, that earthquake comes. The, the doors are unhinged from the prison. Everything's shaking. I mean, this was a really strong maximum severe jail. And it's just blown apart by God's hand. And everybody else's chains are popped off. And they're loose. And the jailer comes in and he's ready to put a sword through himself. And Paul hollers out to him. Paul could have said, go ahead and kill yourself. Then we'll just run out the door, sucker. Paul didn't say that, did he? Paul's response was, do yourself no harm. We're all here. It's good. You know what the effect of that was on that man? It says he fell down on his hands and knees, quivering, shaking like jello. What must I do to be saved? How did he know about salvation? Because that's what they're singing and praising God about. That's what they're praying about. Thanking the Lord that, that He saved them. Thank, thanking the Lord that they had that transforming experience. That the Damascus Road thing set Paul for life on his course of following Jesus and nobody else. No matter what. And when someone sees an impactful life lived and someone's beaten almost to death and Stand and praise the Lord in the midst of that. That's going to make an impact. Especially when God sends an earthquake. God brings deliverance. God brings the miracle that you need. All those that He gathers around you. When you're going through a difficulty, there's going to be people that He gathers around you. When you're going through a detour, you plan one thing, you knew you were in God's will, but all of a sudden a detour comes or a delay comes. Just keep worshiping the Lord. Just keep reaching up. And reaching in, and when he shows you what to do, reach out. The earthquake is coming. The miracle's coming. Trust God for it. I was sitting here the other day thinking of everything the Lord's done in my life. Now that I'm 48. Better be 48 and 62, isn't it? I think so. Ooh, I'm getting a lot of, not a lot of. Peanut gallery boys kill me today. The jailer not only gets saved, he takes Jesus just as Lydia did. Remember how I told you when I got saved, all I want to do is tell people about Jesus? This jailer gets saved and all he wants to do is clean his wounds, take him to tell his whole family. Oh man, you've got to hear this. You've got to hear this. You should have seen what happened. <laughs> you know, And he tells this person's whole household 
and the whole household gets saved and he gets baptized at that river where everybody's meeting. Then he dresses wounds and feeds him. And then they leave. But you know what happened? Because of that lady and that slave girl and that jailer in their household, and who knows if any of those prisoners got saved, but you'll see in the book of Philippi, Paul calls them his beloved. He had a special place in his heart for that Philippian church. A whole book, Philippians, is written about the church that was birthed in Acts chapter 16. It was birthed out of difficulty. There was no synagogue, so he went to the river. He cast a demon out of a girl. He got beaten and put in jail. He just kept focusing on the Lord. The Lord sends an earthquake. The jailer and all his family get saved. Now there's a church planted. But it came out of difficulty. It came out of the detour. It came out of the delay. That's where the power of God comes. And so if you're in a delay in your life, if we're in a delay in our church right here, if we're in a detour waiting for a new pastor, God is going to move. Didn't you see today how the songs that were sang lined up with this? Brother Wally didn't know what my sermon was and he came up here and he did stuff that just set it up. You ever play volleyball? Volleyball is an interesting game. You have this person and they get this ball and they throw it up there and whack, you know, and that ball comes sailing over that net and this person usually hits it with their, their hands together and it goes up and this other person, they could spike it, but they look at where the movement of the, the people on the other side of the net are coming and they hit it with their fingertips. This other person, that other person jumps up and just slams it down. Teamwork. You know. Steps. Working together. Having a process. Reaching up. Reaching in. Reaching out. That's a simple thing to remember, isn't it? And you know what? I taught my kids that. I taught my kids that. I've known this stuff for more than 15 years. And I thought, this is what God needs for this body today. We need to know if we're having a difficulty, a detour, or a delay, either in our church or in our life, or, or in any situation, God is going to take care of it. I've been serving the Lord today 48 years. And I can tell you to a time, He has never left me. He has never failed me. He has never forsaken me. Ever! 48 years. I can trust in that. When I come to the next difficulty, delay or detour, I can know with all the assurance in my heart that God is going to move. The suddenly is going to happen. The but is going to happen. The but is going to be, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to lift up His mighty name, not because I'm doing great, because He's worthy. Because that's where my life is focused, on Jesus the author and perfecter of my faith. And I'm going to focus on Him. I don't care if I go through hell or high water. I'm going to focus on Him. Amen? I'm going to worship Jesus. And when I get in His presence, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray the walls down. I'm going to expect God to move. Because I've seen Him move before. I've seen Him heal people when I prayed for Him. I've seen people get filled with hope. Ghost when I prayed for him. I've seen God move in people's lives after seeds have been planted. Not because it was me, but because it was him through me. We don't do anything. It's him that does it through us. God focused all those people around Paul and Silas. And when that they were singing and praising, that pulled them in. When God came and moved through that earthquake and that mighty deliverance. 
Look how many people it impacted. God will pull people around your life. So hang in there. Worship Him in spite of your difficulty. Focus on Him, the author and perfecter of your faith. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. The answer is coming. Just hang on. Tie not on the end of your hope and hang on. Get this in your heart, in your mind, and focus on it and don't let anything take you away from it. Nothing can take us away from the hope that's in us. Even Jesus said, fear not those who can kill the body, but fear those who fear the one who can throw your body in soul and hellfire. You know what? A lot of times we think about all the terrible things in the world. A lot of terrible things going on in the world, isn't there? We don't know what's going to happen in our country, good or bad. But you know what? I'm not saying the new coming president's bad. Don't know. That God says judge, not me. I'm not going to get up here and say a bunch of political stuff. But I am going to tell you, you Zoomers and you people here, we've had bad presidents in the history of this country, 200 and something years. And you know what? We survived. We've had government for 220-something years that hadn't known anything about what they're doing. They talk about taking from people and not us being such high and holy and we stole the land from all the Indians. Right? I mean, we don't really got things that right. But you know what? A lot of times we forget. Paul and Timothy and Silas and Matthew and Mark and all the apostles, Peter, James, all those people, they went out in a system where they were under Roman occupancy. They weren't in the land of the free and the home of the brave. They couldn't just stand up on any street corner and say, hell to the chief. Jesus, thank you for my soul. Lord, I love you with all my heart. But you know what? They did it anyway. Almost every apostle in the Bible died a martyr's death. You know what? Not one of them regrets it. Not one of them regrets it. And so for us to think that we're some special place in the United States that we should never have any difficulties, we should never have any uncomfort, we should never have any lack of prosperity, that's just not real. It's not what they lived in the Bible. You know? What about in the Old Testament where one country would, would rule for a while. Egypt was the powerhouse for a while. Then it shifted to Rome. Then it shifted to Greece. Then it was Persia. Then it was Assyria. I mean, all these different people conquered different things. And they occupied and took slaves. Do you know that some of the books of the prophets were written while these prophets were, were in another country as slaves? So, so let me ask you, is God held back because of our situation? He wasn't held back because of the prison in Philippi, was He? He sent the earthquake. You know what? One of the things, the most powerful things I've ever seen in my life is the Eastern Wall in Jerusalem. I got the privilege of being there in 1998, March, during spring break. And I saw the Eastern Wall. And the Eastern Wall used to have these rounded arches in the Eastern Wall and the, the whole biblical idea is that the King of kings and Lord of lords that's going to come and set up His millennial kingdom is going to come in that eastern gate. And so all the, uh, the Muslims and the anti-Jewish people and anti-Christian people, they know that a holy man won't go across the graveyard. So they 
in the Kidron Valley, which is just really what we call a, a gully or a ditch here in Texas. It's about just a little wider than from here to the back of the wall back there. It's just a little culvert, a little ravine. And on the other side of it is the eastern wall. And they've plugged it up. They've put bricks. And they've solided in the wall. They've put graves. I mean, bumper to bumper. Tomb to tomb. All in the Kidron Valley. And a thought came to my mind. When you sit on the Mount of Olives, you can look west and, and you can see that right in front of you. It's all a lot closer than you really think. You're sitting here on the, uh, the Mount of Olives and you see these 2,000-year-old olive trees that are like just big around. And you're sitting under their shade and you're looking toward Jerusalem and here's this big old wall and here's all these graves between there and where you bottom of where you are. And a revelational thought came to my mind. One day Jesus is going to come and He that walked out of the tomb of a solid rock tomb, that wall is not going to contain Him. Those graves are not going to keep Him from coming and taking His rightful place. And it's not going to keep Him from working through us. There's nothing that the devil can throw down that can keep us from fulfilling what God's called us to. If you will focus your life and you will focus and anchor yourself in what God shows you, if you'll reach up to Him, praising Him and praying, find out what He wants and then listen to what He's saying and speaking and showing you, then step out into that. He will make sure you're okay. Will you suffer? You might. I went six months last year without a job. And you know what? Didn't miss a meal. Hello? Didn't miss a meal. God gave me the best job I've ever had. And, and the Lord's helping me to kind of be a pastor over 63 people at a facility that has 170 inmates that are learning how to, to get their life from being addicted to drugs and alcohol. I might not be a pastor here, but I'm the pastor to those people. Those people come to me all the time and say, thank you, you're just a blessing. We were praying for God to send someone to be our director. And we know that you're here because God sent you. And the Lord shows me things every day. Try this, try that. And what He, what he shows me to try and I step out into, it's worked so far. And we went from less than 100 to 170 in three months. And we're maintaining it. And God's blessing us. And He's given us favor with everybody on that. There's all kinds of entities there. Dallas County and there's other groups that are on the facility. It's a 26-acre facility, so it's a lot of stuff to keep up with. And yet He gives me the grace to do it. Why? Because He gathers people around my circle of life that He wants to touch for Him. And when they see us and me going through a difficulty and they see the Lord giving me the answer of how to deal with something and it works out just right, they know that it's God moving. And it touches them just like the earthquake touched all those people. So I want to ask you today, if you're Zooming, I want you to know, I know that some people aren't coming and some of you aren't coming because, you know, there's not a vaccine yet. And there seems to be one and all of a sudden they're going to roll out all these hundreds of vaccines and all of a sudden, every time you turn around, there's another hurdle of people actually getting what they need. And I find you need two or three different sets of shots or whatever, you know. But you know what? Let me tell you something. There might not be a vaccine that they can just give you one shot like a flu shot. I don't know. And, and, and if you need to stay home, 
let me tell you, you're not ever having any condemnation from me or any elders or any council people or anybody here that's a true believer. We love you. We're blessed to have you be part of our, our family. And we know that in due time, you'll be back with us. And that might be a while. And if it is, we love you anyway. And we pray for you. And I want you to know that no matter what happens to you, there's not more that the devil can throw at you than God can deliver you from. Every day of your life. And He will deliver you and He will give you peace and He will set your heart still. He says, peace be still. And that's what He means. Amen. Father, thank You today. For those that are here, I pray, Lord, that this wouldn't just be a sermon that people hear and throw away like they throw away a bulletin or a piece of paper. But I pray this would be meat that people could eat and chew on. It would encourage them and strengthen them as You did the the churches that Paul went to, that you strengthened them and built them up in the faith and they grew in number. And I pray you would do that among us, Lord, even in this difficulty. Lord, let us not look at the difficulty, but to praise you and worship you in the midst of it, to send up prayers, God, as though everything depends on it, because it does. And I pray, God, that we listen to you as you speak to us and show us what things to do in our lives and in this church. And I pray, God, as we see what You want us to do, that we'd have the boldness and the faith and the courage to step out into what You show us and to, to actualize and, and, and inherit that which You desire us to be involved in. And may You have a deep and meaningful impact everyone that You gather around our lives. Lord, for Your glory and praise. We ask You to go with us today. Be with us this week and touch those in our body who are sick and ill and need a healing and need touch. I pray you would be the great physician for them today. We thank you for your blessed presence here and for the promise of eternal life in you. And we thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen.